This week on Texas Scorecard Radio, contact tracing. What is it? And why are we spending $295 million to bring it to Texas? We'll also have all the updates on the Democrats' campaign to massively expand mail-in balloting across Texas. In our interview, we talked to Mark Meckler with the Open the States Project about all the nationwide efforts uh, to resist government tyranny. And we'll close with a commentary from Empower Texan CEO Michael Quinn Sullivan. Welcome back, friends, to another week of Texas Scorecard Radio. I, of course, am your faithful host, Tony McDonald. Uh, you can find us on the web at www.texasscorecard.com. I want to get started with this week's top news. Go to Brandon Walton's managing editor for Texas Scorecard. Uh, big news, the governor taking a lot of heat for this decision to uh, serve up a huge contract on contact tracing and I guess let's get started. Tell people what the heck is contact tracing. Yeah, you know, just a few short months ago, folks uh, probably never even heard this phrase. I certainly had it. And now you're starting to see it pop up everywhere with governors across the state, and including in Texas, talking about contact tracing as a uh, method of, of controlling the Chinese coronavirus as businesses start to reopen. Now, the question on everybody's mind is, well, okay, what is contact tracing? And and sort of put simply, it's the idea of finding people who have been exposed to the virus uh, and then deducing whether it's through physical people or it's through technology, figuring out who they contacted so that they can get tested, they can be potentially quarantined. That's essentially the general idea, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of questions about what this is going to look like in Texas. Yeah, so we're really talking about you know digital tracking of people's interactions, which has you know immense privacy concerns, uh, obviously. But even beyond that, there's a lot of criticism of where this policy is just kind of springing from. So tell us about the governor's announcement on this subject. Yes, yeah, so the governor has said, Governor Abbott has said that uh, he wants to set up four thousand contact tracers by the end of the month, uh, and in order to assist in doing that, he has recently signed a. $295 million deal with this tech group called MTX. They're based out of New York. They've recently set up an office up in Frisco. Um, and so you've got this big contract um, that's set to last. I think a big shocking part of this is, is that this deal is supposed to last for 27 months. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we've been dealing with this uh, coronavirus for a couple months now. It's hard to wrap your mind around, you know, over two years from now, people still being traced uh, for this virus. Yeah, you, you get the feeling, you hope uh, that this thing will go away. And then a year or so from now, there's somebody enjoying millions and millions of handout contract. And you're going, oh, what are you doing? Oh, well, I'm a contact tracer. <laughs> for what? what? Oh, yeah. Remember the coronavirus, right? Um, I mean, so it's it's bizarre. But he's drawn a lot of scrutiny for just the nature of how this thing was done. Uh, The legislature not involved at all in this decision to appropriate, you know, nearly a third of a billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, you have this deal which was uh, signed into by uh, Texas Health and Human Services, the Department of State Health Services, uh, for this nearly $300 million contract. And what you're starting to see from some lawmakers is as news of this deal starts spreading into the news is that a lot of them uh, had no idea it was even being considered. I mean, uh, the legislature, of course, vested with you know the authority to, to make the budgets, one of the things they have to do. 
Uh, and you're talking about a program that's not just going to last a few months, but uh, it's going to last, you know, into, you know, uh, a legislative session coming up next year. And even and even past that, uh, the legislature not being involved in that decision. Yeah, I think there are a lot of questions remaining about uh, was this a no bid contract? If it wasn't a no bid contract, how did they even, you know, comply with bidding processes mm-hmm. in this current time? Lots of questions about what's going on and what it means and, and and what it means for us from a privacy standpoint. Yes, a lot of questions, and you're starting to see a lot of feedback from lawmakers on how they feel about that. Uh, we're going to be covering that issue closely at Texas Scorecard. Next, let's turn and talk to Aaron Anderson up in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Aaron, it seems like every week you and I are talking about issues involving uh, mail-in balloting as the Democratic Party here in Texas, across the country, uh, trying to exploit the current Chinese coronavirus uh, pandemic crisis, never let a crisis go to waste, uh, to expand mail-in and balloting. And we're now seeing a bunch of litigation here in the state. Tell us uh, what's going on. Things are going on in two different courts this week. Well, that's right, Tony. There's so many developments because the Texas Democrat Party has two different lawsuits going on, one in state court and one in federal court. So we have developments in one or the other or both almost daily. Uh, So they started um, in state court about a month ago, right after the emergency orders came out, uh, looking to use the, the, uh, the corona crisis to suggest that everyone in Texas should be able to vote a mail ballot, even though that's not what the state law says. Yeah, basically the state law says, look, if you have a disability, you can apply for a mail-in ballot. And they're wanting to say, well, everyone, you know, basically life is the condition, <laughs> is your disability. You know, that you're living and there's a virus on the march is the, is the situation and the condition. And obviously that's a, a little bit silly. And we've seen Attorney General Paxton uh, fighting back against this. Uh, but obviously liberal judges buying in. We had this federal judge this week uh, with very colorful language coming in, talking about how we've got to fight the Grim Reaper, <laughs> stuff like that, uh, ruling in favor of the Democrats. Well, that's right, Tony. So not only did a Democrat uh, state judge in Travis County side with the Democrats, surprise, but the liberal judge, uh, federal judge, uh, and uh, sided with the Texas Democrat Party as well. And yes, his order was quite colorful, suggesting that we're all disabled now uh, because of the coronavirus. Therefore, everyone uh, should get a mail ballot. Uh, no questions asked. And county officials have been... Um, either confused uh, or um, on board with uh, letting everybody vote by mail and have been telling voters, hey, you can vote by mail if you fear getting the coronavirus by going to vote in person. And yeah, and so, so the counter to this is, is basically the attorney general's office saying, hey, you're kind of misleading people about the law, kind of telling them, hey, go break the law. It's OK. And that's kind of the issue that came up in the Texas Supreme Court this week, uh, where the local officials and the AG's office were arguing. Absolutely right. So not only do they have these two lawsuits going on, but uh, uh The Texas Attorney General asked the Supreme Court to rule uh, on telling these uh, county officials, stop misleading voters by telling them that everyone can vote by mail if they want to. There are certain limits within the law that they're supposed to follow. Uh, But what's come out, it came out in the Supreme Court and in state and federal court as well, is that um, the... uh, 
nobody really verifies this whole issue of disability. You can check the box on your mail ballot application saying you're disabled and it's an honor system. Everybody's always taken your word for it that you have an actual condition that prevents you from going to the polls. So Democrats are exploiting that saying, well, look, if no one is checking anyway, and it's an honor system and it's on the voter to decide, why can't people just decide that being afraid qualifies as a disability? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, question. It's kind of it rubs you the wrong way, but then you say, well, I don't even know how uh, these things really, really would be enforced. But that goes to the issue of voter fraud that we've been talking about. You know, mail-in balloting, if there's nobody checking whether people are entitled or qualified uh, to receive a mail-in ballot, maybe this is why it's being abused uh, by uh, the uh, people engaged in fraud. Well, absolutely, Tony. There are cases on record going back the last few years of ballot harvesters doing this exact thing, using the disability provision to check that box for voters who are not disabled and wouldn't otherwise qualify to vote by mail, just so that they can then go and harvest that voter's mail ballot, you know, help them out voting it. So this is a, a strategy that's been in play uh, among uh, illegal ballot harvesters. And this would just expand their opportunities greatly to harvest across the state. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's definitely the case. The Democrats trying to uh, cue as many voters as they can up on the mail-in ballot uh, uh, program, and then basically stuff the ballot box come November with all of these votes. So uh, we'll we'll continue to keep an eye on it. Very interesting developments. Thanks, Tony. Texas Scorecard Radio is a project of Empower Texans. At texasscorecard.com or empowertexans.com, you can find more news and daily updates from all around the Lone Star State. You can also find updates from Empower Texans and Texas Scorecard on Facebook and Twitter and follow Empower Texans on Instagram. Texas Scorecard's News Digest goes out weekly via email with occasional updates throughout the week. Subscribe online and find more information at empowertexans.com. Someone's always keeping score. We think it ought to be the taxpayers. Well, it's my pleasure to welcome on the show this week, uh, Mark Meckler with Citizens for Self-Governance. Mark, you have a great new project called Open the States, uh, where you're providing tools to activists and citizens uh, who are engaged in trying to reopen states uh, from all of these coronavirus uh, government shutdowns. Uh, And then you've been out there, you know, uh, networking and connecting with folks, it's its really exciting what y'all are seeing. Yeah, Tony, this is for me is kind of where I live in the middle of the activist movement. Grassroots folks are my folks. I'm just a grassroots guy. And when I saw this whole thing rising, it, it reminded me of my experience way back when in the Tea Party movement, a bunch of us spontaneously organizing. We had no tools. We had no experience. We didn't know what we were doing. We just knew that we were frustrated and something needed to change. And that's where folks have been in this reopen movement. We've seen great independent groups springing up all over the country. They're self-funded, they're self-starters, and they're not being coordinated by any anybody. And I wanted to give them a place and a platform where they could be safe from the censorship of Facebook. We've seen some big censorship of Facebook around this issue and also where they could have some organizing tools. So there are forums there. Each state has its own forum. There's a calendar where they can list their events and there's a chance for them to network in these forums. We also have a state leaders forum so the state leaders can communicate with each other, share best practices and ideas. So that's what's going on at openthestates.com right now. Well, and what's coming out of this, and you were explaining, is pretty exciting 
uh, you know, folks are, you know, sheltered in their homes. They maybe connect with a handful of family members and maybe they're part of a group or something like that, but they're not necessarily seeing that there is this nationwide movement, a nationwide effort, and it's really coming into action right now. It is, and I'm really excited about it because it's just natural. This is what grassroots activism is at its best. It's organic, it's natural, it's spontaneous. And so now that these people are in touch with each other, we've been doing regular Zoom calls to get leaders on the calls together, face-to-face, get to know each other. What's happening is they've made a plan. And this is what grassroots do. Put them together, put them in a room, and they figure out what they want to do. And what they've decided is enough waiting, enough complaining, enough protesting, it's time to reopen the country. So they've set a date and they have a plan and they're ready to go. Uh, so let's talk about that. I mean, it's it's a date nationwide that folks are trying to coordinate around to say, this is the day we're going to, you know, if we have a business, we're going to reopen our business. If we maybe don't have a business, we're going to go visit that business. Yeah. And I would also add, if we're a house of worship, we're going to open and we're going to allow our congregants to come in and worship because that's one of the things that's really been shut down all over the country. So basically what they've done is they've chosen May 22nd. That's this coming Friday. And there's a reason for that. One is just, you know, enough. They're sick and tired of it and they're ready to go. And these businesses are not going to survive much longer. A lot of them have already been lost. But a second reason is this is Memorial Day weekend. And it's important that we remember that's not about picnics and barbecues. It's about those who signed on the dotted line and were willing to risk all for the country and for the Constitution. And some gave all. And we're supposed to remember those people and honor those people on Memorial Day weekend. And right now, all the rights that they fought to secure, that they sought to protect, that they were willing to die for, are being challenged now. The right to freedom of assembly, the right to freedom of travel, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. All of these things are being challenged. And so it seemed like a good weekend, according to all the activists I talked to, that we ought to honor those people by standing up and claiming those rights. They belong to us. They were secured for us by people who gave their lives. So we're going to stand up and fight for those May 22nd. Yeah, I mean, people are uh, worried about health consequences and things like that. But we're talking about a gener- generations of people who put their lives on the line, literally, uh, to defend these rights. And then here we are. That uh, all we're all we're suggesting is to to go uh, have a hamburger or something uh, to do your part to actually defend and fight for and, and fulfill the rights that uh, are so important uh, to us as a society. It's it's uh, it's you know if you put it in context, it's kind of the least you could do. Exactly, and and so here's the structure of the thing. People are talking about we need to stand up, open up, and show up. And by stand up, what we mean is that everybody. Everybody, all of us, you, me, and everybody else, we need to stand up together in unison and say enough is enough. We've had it. We're done with this. We did this because you told us to, and you told us we had to do it to be safe. But we now know the way the numbers have borne out, the way things are right now, it's time to get back to our regular lives. Number two is we're encouraging business owners to open up. It's pretty scary out there. If you're a business owner, they're threatening you with police action. They're threatening with license removal. They're threatening cease and desist. And in some cases, even jail. We saw Shelley Luther here in Texas. That's not the only person who's been jailed around the country. And so what we want is we want all these business owners to open at once because there's protection in numbers. The government authorities can play whack-a-mole with one or two businesses. But if one or 2,000 open up across the city or 10,000 
really not much they can do as far as enforcement. If we all stand together, then we all stand together, right? And so that's the goal is get all these businesses to open. And the last part is show up. And the reason it's show up, this is the part you're talking about, go out and buy a hamburger, is that we have to go patronize those businesses. They're hurting. These are your neighbors. These are folks you go to church with, your kids play soccer, or little league with. We got to go out and patronize local business. I can tell you, for my part, Tony, I, you know, we like most people, we've been at home. We haven't eaten out near as much. We haven't shopped local near as much. I've saved a bunch of money. My plan is starting Friday to spend that money this weekend with local businesses. I, and I don't mean Walmart or Home Depot. And I'm nothing against those businesses. Great businesses. They stayed open for us. I appreciate it. But now I'm going to be shopping local and supporting local. That's what I mean by showing up. Yeah, I think that's a really, a really great idea. And I love the unity that's here. A lot of people have been coming to me. I'm an attorney, of course, and uh, saying, well, what should we do? Should we sue? Should we go to the courts? And you go, look, okay, if you want the courts to validate what you're doing six months from now, you know, maybe we can put together a lawsuit. Uh, But the real action is if you see something that's going on, where there's this unconstitutional restriction uh, on your activity, and you really believe, look, this is unconstitutional and illegal, uh, defiance is really the only answer. And unified in a collaborative defiance in this way is how you can actually uh, defeat these kind of illegal policies. So uh, very exciting to see people banding together, uh, not just in one town or one community, but nationwide around this uh, May 22nd. you know, coming out <laughs> party. Um, let, let me ask you this. So what are you seeing from uh, new participants, new activists? I mean, you mentioned that this kind of reminds you of the early Tea Party days uh, back in you know, 2009, 2010. I've actually heard that from a couple of other uh, folks who say, look, there's a lot of new people getting involved. And that's always a really, really good thing. Uh, what, are you, what are you seeing on that front? Yeah, you know, it's I so I have my anecdotal evidence, which is just my feel for this thing, because I'm spending pretty much all day, every day on the phone with folks like this. And then we commissioned actually a deep dive study by Frontier Center on this to figure out what was really going on. Here's what I found by the numbers. 38% of people who identify very strongly favorably with the movement, meaning they've either been to a protest or would consider going to a protest. These are people who've never even heard of the Tea Party movement or never participated or didn't have an opinion on it. And I think that's really exciting. This is not just Tea Party 2.0. It's not the same people coming out. These are newly minted activists. A lot of people never engaged in politics before. A full 28% of them are actually registered independents. So there's this picture they're painting. It's all, it's a big MAGA thing. And certainly there are people out there who support the president, but it's a bunch of new people, independent people, people who've never been engaged in politics before. And when we talk to them, and, and even when we do these deep dive interviews with them, what we're finding is there are two main things motivating them. One is it's a self-definitional moment. They're looking in the mirror and asking, who am I? Am I the kind of a person who's willing to stand up to tyranny? What do I want my kids to think about me and my neighbors and my spouse and my friends? What do I want them to remember about me in this moment? This is a, a history moment. They're, they're actually comparing themselves with great figures in history. Am I one of those people? And I think that's phenomenal. And the second thing that they're doing is much more selfless. And I really love this. They're saying, it's my duty to do this for others. And a lot of folks who are Christian are saying it's their Christian duty. But even folks who don't identify themselves as practicing a particular faith, they're saying it's their duty. It's their duty to take care of people who are 
out of work, who are struggling or having to go to food banks, whose businesses are being ruined, they see themselves as standing for others. I think these are two really healthy signs for America. Yeah, I mean, this has been a really teachable moment in self-governance. Uh, the the good things that we've seen happen, you know, and we've talked a little bit about this uh, with Empower Texans. The good things we're seeing are self-governing things, and I think people are a little bit um, having to come to grips with the idea that okay, the government says it's going to pile it in and dump a. Uh, a boatload of money on everybody to try and make it better, but it just doesn't really even work. Even if the money's there, you know, how do you get it out there to people? How do you do those things? So it's been a teachable moment to people of, of, Hey, look, this is how communities work. We have to support each other. It's not something that we can just lean back and let the government, you know, turn a on off switch with the economy and then dump cash on it. It just does not function that way. Yeah, I agree with that. And then the question becomes, what's the future look like? And that's really what worries me more than anything else, but also gives me the most hope. There is a something that's going to come out of this, Tony. I mean, we are never going back to normal, to, to what the old normal was. So when people pine for the old way, that's not happening again. We have a new paradigm in America. And the question is, what is it going to look like on a go-forward basis? I'm absolutely certain what the radical progressives and the leftists want it to look like, what the statists want it to look like. And that is a much smaller gilded cage for the American citizen, a place where they can, quote unquote, take care of you and tell you what to do and tell you when you can and can't leave your house and where you can and can't shop and who's essential and who's not. They're very comfortable with this, and they want to retain this power. They might loosen the screws for a little bit, but they want us to be used to them exercising that. And I think that's a terrible narrative, and I, and I know you do too. I know Empower Texas stands against that. So the question is, what's the new narrative? I think this is the new narrative. We live in a time now where the paradigm has been broken and where anything is possible. The only thing that's working right now is tearing down all the old restrictions on entrepreneurialism, on on inventiveness, on the power of work ethic and individual responsibility. We see what's happened in the trucking industry. President Trump has removed the regulations there. It hasn't been a catastrophe. It's been a great success. We see the removal of regulations on the pharmaceutical industry. What used to take three years to approve through the FDA and a billion dollars is now being done in a few weeks. Why would we ever go back? And we need to take that attitude that kind of entrepreneurial frontier spirit. And we need to impose that on our government. And here in Texas, they need to strip back regulations. They need to get rid of a lot of occupational licensing. We're going to need to reinvigorate the economy. And we cannot do that under the old status quo. We need to gut the regulations and set Texans free to create a new future. Yeah, I think there's a, you know certainly a lot of risk that uh, things could head in a negative direction. Everybody sees it, uh, but there's a tremendous amount of opportunity uh, to band together with our neighbors and uh, affect some positive change out of this uh, this situation. And we're seeing that uh, happening on the ground. Um, running out of time, tell folks who are uh, listening at home how can they get more involved with the open with open the states. Uh, tell them again about the tools that they can get there. Uh, how do they get involved if they want to be involved in the movement that you've been uh, talking about? 
They can go to openthestates.com and there all they have to do is choose their state. Of course, that's Texas, our home here, the great state of Texas. If they have friends that are interested around the country, there are forums for every state. They can go to the events calendar. They can look at what's going on. And over the next couple of days, they're going to see a lot of detailed information and a lot of media around this event to stand up, open up, and show up. And that is Friday, May 22nd. So go to Open the States. That's where they can get all the details, Tony, and all the tools. Great, great. Appreciate the work you're putting in on this, Mark, and and all the work that uh, folks are doing out there. Uh, It's really exciting. Thank you. Uh, God bless you, and thanks for having me. Hey there, Texas Scorecard Radio listeners. Jim Graham from Texas Right to Life here. And I wanted to quickly hijack the show to remind you that every Tuesday at 3 p.m. on the Empower Texans and Texas Right to Life Facebook pages, Empower Texans CEO Michael Quinn Sullivan and I will discuss all the latest news from around the state, country, and world. We don't always stay on topic, but when we do, we're delivering you the news and perspective you need to hold your elected officials accountable. Don't forget the Jim and Michael show every Tuesday at 3 p.m on the Empower Texans and Texas Right to Life Facebook pages. One of the biggest challenges we face with American self-governance is churches failing to do their duty in the community. Empower Texans CEO Michael Quinn Sullivan touches on that in this week's commentary. America is losing our founding sense of self-governance because our churches have gone silent or worse, become shills for the welfare state. With this week's Texas Scorecard Radio Commentary, I'm Michael Quinn Sullivan. When the Hellenists were kicked from Israel in the 2nd and 1st century BC, the fight was led by a priest and his sons. The American Revolution was famously stamped by pastors who gave up their pulpits to serve their flock in battle. The civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s was nurtured in the church. Yet, the last 40 years has seen American pulpits go increasingly quiet on issues that matter most. On any given Sunday, pastors can be found waxing eloquent about the derivations of Greek words, illustrated with movie clips on the jumbotron, or by amusing their audience with self-help anecdotes like a wannabe comedian during open mic night. But too many pastors have become unwilling to speak uncomfortable truths in the face of governing power. They glibly miscite Romans 13 as evidence that good Christians, particularly those wanting to keep their 501c3 tax statuses, will keep their mouths firmly shut about anything which could offend the soft leftists in their congregations or the hard leftists in government bureaucracies. Questioning earthly powers, upsetting the governing status quo of their religious and political elite, Well, that was all part and parcel of Jesus' ministry. That same sensibility has been effectively educated out of most mainline seminaries. Today, churches often reflect the government dictates and secular culture rather than stand apart from them. In the name of peace and purity in the church, a sadly large number of pastors softly capitulate. Criticism of government is verboten. Sermons against confiscatory taxes, abortion, and same-sex marriage might scare away seekers and are thus to be avoided. A friend who attended a very conservative seminary told me he was distressed by the sheer number of students who subsisted on government programs. The thought that perhaps the denomination or their home churches or even they themselves should make such provision and not the taxpayers was considered something of a joke, he said. 
His concern was that while the church is called to care for the poor, pastors emerging from seminaries having been enculturated into the welfare state would too readily embrace the idea that church money should be reserved for esoteric pursuits. If the state wants to handle the unpleasant work of caring for the downtrodden, all the better. As he said mockingly, they'd lived on government handouts and turned out just fine. The biblical call for Christians to care personally for the least among them is at the heart of a self-governing people, or should be. Offloading the messiness of practical compassion to a faceless bureaucracy might be convenient, but it fails to uphold the dignity of the individual being served, and it completely ignores the mandate for Christians to practice acts of mercy. We have relegated loving our neighbor to providing them with a convenient app for getting a list of government services. The British historian Tom Holland hit on this in a recent commentary for The Telegraph. Quote, Rather than speaking of the miracles and mysteries of eternal life, many church leaders seem to have opted to talk like middle managers. End quote. He wrote churches must take the risk of seeming odd if they're to reach souls. Jesus had no trouble being odd. He called odd men to be his disciples. But that's because the wisdom of God is treated as foolishness by sinful men. We must reject cultural approval and embrace the oddness of God if we are to serve him faithfully. And it's only by serving God that we can truly love our neighbors. America's legacy as a self-governing people will only survive and thrive to the extent our pastors are willing to speak truthfully, even forcefully, to secular power. With this week's Texas Scorecard Radio Commentary, I'm Michael Quinn Sullivan. Well, that's all I have for this week. Before I go, though, I would be remiss if I didn't say congratulations to Trey Trainer, finally confirmed uh, to the Federal Elections Commission. I've worked with Trey as an attorney, and I think he's going to do a great job defending free speech up in Washington. Congratulations to uh, Trey and to the Trainer family. Thanks for listening. Texas Scorecard Radio is brought to you each week as a public service from the Empower Texans Foundation and in partnership with the Lincoln Institute and this station. You can download podcasts from each program and learn more at EmpowerTexans.com.